What's up, everyone? Welcome into the Round Six podcast. We are your hosts, Keaton Cordell and Jake Smith, coming to you from Fort Worth, Texas, and Denver, Colorado. What a week last week for the UFC. UFC 278 from Salt Lake City was just by all accounts a crazy card. I really enjoyed watching every single fight, every single second. And this past Tuesday, the Contender Series, a great night of fights. All five fighters get a contract. Two of the youngest people that I've ever seen on the Contender Series. Both got contracts. The first fight of the night was just an absolute war, and a 22-year-old got a contract. But the shining star for me this past week on the Contender Series was by far Cameron Simon. Simon, 21 years old, out of South Africa, came into the night at 5-1, and one, fighting a guy with 22 professional fights, and he found a way to get a win. The adversity that kid saw and faced in his fight was almost insurmountable you would think for a 21 year old and he pulls it out gets the fight uh gets the finish and and gets a contract and and now cameron simon is the youngest male fighter on the ufc roster at 21 years old it was just absolutely crazy to see you love to see it it's great for the sport i love that uh, the sport's kind of turning towards younger fighters i think that's really cool for the upcoming generation of fighters but i don't see why we need to waste any more time here let's get into it ufc 278 just an insane card, Jake. I, I think that main card was one of the better cards that I've seen in a while. We've been to a couple live in person that I don't even think stood up to that one. Just a, a crazy fight card all around. Yeah, the main card absolutely lived up to the hype. Between the two three-round wars and the co-main event and the Jose Aldo and Marab fight, and then just the absolute banger ending in the main event. I mean, line of the night for me, pound for pound, headshot, dead. I mean, Leon did it all in the last minute of that fight. Close the show. I mean, he's the champ now. We can't deny that. He is the champ. He is the guy everybody is coming for. Masvidal's calling his name. Colby's going to be calling his name. Kamaru's going to be calling his name. Whoever wins between Nate and Hamzad, probably Hamzad's going to be calling his name, even though the Nate story is there. But Leon did it. Leon Rocky Edwards did it. Yeah, and it's one of those things that, kind of like when Tai Tuivasa beat Derek Lewis, I think Chael Sonnen said it the next day when he was doing his show, I wasn't prepared then to say that Tai Tuivasa was now the number three heavyweight in the world, and I was not prepared at the end of Saturday night to say that Leon Edwards was the champion of the welterweight division, especially the way that fight was going. Like, it was, it was with the exception of round one, Usman was pitching a shutout. Like, he did everything he had to do. He did exactly what we thought mm-hmm. he was going to do. And then Leon Edwards just sets up a, just a crazy head kick uh, and it's a technique that we're seeing a lot nowadays come up. And um, I, I think that that really proved to be the difference maker. Obviously, you got a knockout. But you see the thrill on one side, the agony on the other. Mm-hmm. And it was just, I mean, it was crazy. I, I literally brought me out of my seat and took me like 10 minutes to pick my jaw up off the floor after he landed that head game. I mean, I don't, I don't think Leon even expected that to happen. That The corner work going into round five, I've seen a lot of people give a lot of shit on that corner work. The guy just, he's not giving any technical anything for Leon. He is just, 
He's yelling at Leon what I think Leon needed to hear at the time. He needed to pull his head out of his ass, and he needed to fight. He needed to do something. There was no decision that was going to happen at this point. He needed the knockout or nothing. He was clearly running to a decision at that point. And then he pulls out. What's cool about this fight to me is every bit of this story is the exact opposite of what's come up for him. The last minute of a fight is what nearly cost him everything against Nate Diaz. This is what won him this. That same exact technique, what you were just mentioning, is exactly what cost him against Bilal. The faint the right, throw the jab out all the way and trace it with the left high. That jab is what poked Bilal in the eye. And now he does the exact same technique, and this is what gets him the win. It's, it's just an amazing story for Leon, in my opinion. I don't think anybody saw it coming. Yeah, and, and now he's the second ever UFC champion to come out of England. I mean, you're realistically, he's the better. first. Mike Bispin, he moved to California for his uh, for his training camps. Leon is the only person to stay in England, and it's a great time as well because this year has been all about England, in my opinion, for the UFC. The best two cards of the year weren't even pay per views; they were both UFC fight nights in London. And now we've got a champ coming out of London. I think they're ready to actually do a stadium show instead, like. Let's fill up Wembley. Let's fill up somewhere over there. But we can bring everybody. Wembley would be unreal. We've got Molly. We've got Aspinall if he comes back in time. We've got now a champion. Darren Till can get on the card if he ever makes it back. I mean, London's popping off. It's it's getting wild out there. I would go for a fight. Oh, my. Tell me about it. Yeah, Wembley would be insane. Dana obviously said that he was a little bit hesitant to do an outdoor fight. Mm -hmm. But they did it at Marvel Stadium in Sydney for the Rob Whitaker and uh, Adesanya fight, wild. the first one, and it was insane. That was the, the yeah. most fans ever in attendance at a UFC event in the history mm-hmm. of the UFC. So uh, I don't see why Wembley would be any different. But I kind of want to take a, a second to talk about the technique. You kind of got into it a little bit uh, that won Leon Edwards the title, but it, it's a technique that we're starting to see a little bit more prevalent, and it, it seems like it just always works, right? So you faint the faint the jab, throw the cross out there to give him something to look at, or mm-hmm. throw a left or throw a left or right straight, faint the jab just to give him something to look at, move the head off to the side, and then trace it's, it with a high kick. Yeah, it's, it's that tracer, uh, the tracer high kick when you're fighting somebody with a boxing-heavy style. So you saw it against, you saw it last week against um, Dominic Cruz with Cheeto. Dominic's got so much boxing-heavy head movement that Cheeto just throws that tracer, or throws that jab, gets the head offline, Follows it up with a tracer, got him there. We see it with Robert Whitaker all the time. That's his, one of his one, two, throw that right high after the two. We see it with TJ Dillashaw, he's done it several times. That's it's just a technique when you're fighting somebody that's so boxing heavy. When you see that every punch they're going to throw, they're either going to parry it or they're going to slip it. If you can get that parry off the first, they're going to slip the second one. So exactly what Leon did throws that first really fake. Like he barely put that right out there, got the feint. Through the left all the way out, which you see right there, it's right in front of his face, and then bang, tracer high, and it's gonna connect every time when they put that head offline. No one sees it coming. Yeah, and it's also a technique that we've seen used in the past. I think one of the most impactful circumstances that I've seen this technique utilized was when Paulo Costa fought Israel Adesanya for the middleweight title a couple years ago. Izzy threw the exact same combination, and Paulo just ate the head kick, but it's one of those things that, like, not almost no one's going to eat that head kick, right? Paulo Costa is just an absolute savage. Mm-hmm. But, it, it, like, good transition as well into that fight because talk about a savage. My God. <laughs> no like, kidding. How does he? 
he, like like what you just said, he ate that shot from Adesanya. How did he eat some of those shots from Rockhold? When when Rockhold was sitting there, I th- it was either round two or three. I think it was round three. Hands on his knees against the cage. Paolo's walking him down. And Rockhold just unloads a left hook on him. And Paolo just ate it. Like, just ate it and kept coming. I don't, I don't know how he ate that, personally. From no. It, a 185 just... who's moved up to 205 before. Rockhold has power. And Paolo just ate that and kept coming. Yeah, it was crazy to see. I think the moment of the fight, that fight in particular for me, was Rockhold's pressed back up against the cage. Seems like he's just down and out, not going to do anything. Throws off a couple FUs at Paulo Costa and then throws just a ridiculous left and Paulo just eats it. Like you can't lean mm-hmm. a, uh, land a shot cleaner than that. And, and Paulo Costa just walked right through it. I, I honestly, if I'm in the middleweight division right now, I don't want to fight Paulo Costa, especially with the discipline with his weight. He, mm-hmm. he came into fight week looking really in shape, looking like he took everything serious. And when Paulo Costa is at the top of his game, I, I wouldn't want to fight him. I don't know a lot of people that would. I know there's fighters that have far more courage than I in the middleweight division that look at him and, and think that there's an easy path to victory there. But Paulo Costa is just terrifying. I don't think there's an easy path to victory. I think Paulo today is much different than that 13-0 and Paulo that was coming up. I think he's much more focused on his nutrition, much more focused on his preparation and training and getting that weight down. And I think this is very similar to something Habib said back in the day. People ask him, like, your weight cuts are awful. Like, why don't you move up to 170? And he said, there's something about making the weight, like making 155. So, and I believe there's something about Paolo getting down to 185 requires a certain amount of dedication, requires a certain amount of pure focus and effort on making that weight and everything in the camp must be dialed in. I think it is his perfect performance weight. Like he might be huge. He might easily be able to compete with all the 205ers, but I don't think he's going to be in the shape that he gets himself into to make 185 and be able to compete the way he just did this last weekend at 205. I like this was a unbelievable performance in my opinion. I think if he can make his way back up, there's something scary to happen. Yeah, well, and, and that I think the vision right now as well is it's wide ridiculous. open. No, like everybody on the come up right now. So if Izzy gets past Pajara, everyone on the come up right now, he's already beaten. Yeah. Well, if he it, hasn't he's... already beaten them, they're not really on the come up. We got Sean Strickland sort of on the come up. That's about it in the top six other than Pajara that he hasn't beat already. Well, and you got to think if, if Pereira loses, he just absolutely wiped Sean Strickland off the face of the earth. We saw that fight live. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the craziest finishes I've seen and one of the just the most ridiculous knockouts. And, and what it is, and it's kind of like, I would almost equate this to people fighting uh, like an Islam or even a Habib a little bit in that you know what he's going to come in and do. You know exactly what he's looking for, mm-hmm. but can you stop it, right? Like we saw that with Dan Hooker and Islam. Dan Hooker knew exactly what Islam was going to come in and do. <laughs> he knew exactly what he had to defend and, and you can't stop it, right? So the same thing with, Pereira, he's going to come in and he's going to look up. Uh, he's going to look to set up that left hook, and as soon as he finds it, you're done. And, and there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And I mean, the, the middleweight division is just an interesting layout right now. Honestly. And who knows more about being done from that left hook other than the champ? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. Twice. No kidding, no kidding. And it's knocked him out twice, even though mm-hmm. I, like 
give credit where credit's due. He was winning both of those fights. And, uh, and so is Kamara this last weekend. <laughs> yeah, okay, fair point, fair point. Yeah, no doubt. But th- that division is, is just ridiculous right now. But let's move into the Bantamweight division. I think this is another division that's just absolutely stacked right now. It, it very well might be the most stacked up division that the UFC's got right now. And Jose Aldo versus Marab, it was a good fight. I, I kind of expected a little bit more out of Marab. But mm-hmm. the one thing that you know, like no matter what, that Marab's going to bring to the table is just constant pressure. It's almost like you can't do anything to slow him down. If you're trying to get some separation from him to t- give yourself a little bit of a breather, he's going to be walking you down and he's right in your face the whole time. Yeah. I, the machine is the perfect nickname for him. Yeah, there's one thing you can expect and it's a gas tank. He's, he's not going to stop. He will not stop unless you put him out. And we saw that against Marlon Marais. Marais almost put him out. I thought he put him out. And Rob just kept coming. And he, he's talked about how he didn't even know he was hurt. Like, that's how you know that man is a machine. He had no idea he was even hurt until he watched the fight afterwards. Like, Marab's just something different. And you can say we expected a lot more out of Marab. I also say Jose Aldo's takedown defense was way more on par than anybody expected it to be. Um, Dana didn't really like Marab's performance that much. It definitely was not enough to catapult him into a title shot in that division. I would absolutely still put Cheeto's style points way higher than what Marab just did against Aldo. But like you said, the division right now is fully stacked up. You got the champ booked up against number two coming up soon. Number one against 13, Sugar and Jan coming up soon. Really the only open fights, the top 10 basically are... Marab and Cheeto, and I don't want to see that fight. I think Cheeto's maybe earned enough to wait it out and see what happens with Dillashaw and Aljo, at least for the time being, before taking a fight against Marab. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I could and, see Marab uh, waiting out for, uh, for a pretty hefty wrestler who seems to be making his way back to Bantamweight, however. Um, uh, what do you think about Triple C maybe making a comeback? I, I want to see Triple C make a comeback so bad. He's the cringe king, like... Sometimes you see him post stuff and you're just mm-hmm. like, how can, how, like, how do you have fans? Like, he just like makes you wonder how he has a following. But I the love only it. fighters that, no, I love it too. The only fighters that can get away with that though are fighters that can back it up. Like, you can be a dumbass in your personal life mm-hmm. and on social media. But if you get into the octagon and you turn it on and, and you go out there and you give the fans what they want, you give Dana White and the matchmakers what they want. I mean, no one can say anything about what you do outside of the octagon. And I love triple C. I I would love nothing more than to see triple C come back. You put him in against Marab. If it's triple C, like if he's talking about it, he's going to call it a tune up fight. But you got to think when you've been away from the game for a one year, two years, three years, however, however long it's been, that's not a tune up fight. If you've got a guy that's just walking you down the entire fight. So I would love to see it. What do you think, though, if that were a fight to happen? Who's got the, like, obviously Triple C's got the Olympic pedigree, but who really does have the wrestling advantage in this? Who has the pressure advantage in Marab versus Triple C? Well, I think you kind of bring up two situations there, right? So the wrestling advantage, Triple C, hands down. You're not going to be able to convince me otherwise on that. The pressure advantage, I would give to Marab, and here's why. He's been in the game for, like, consistently, he's fighting consistently. Mm-hmm. For, you know, basically since he got signed off of Dana White looking for a fight, 
And Triple C has been away for a little bit. Not that Triple C hasn't been training. He's been coaching. Like, you still see him around the game all the time. He was yeah. at UFC 278. He's but, coaching all the top guys right now, too. Yeah, but there's still there's a difference between coaching those guys and actually being in a fight camp. So I think mm-hmm. Triple C, like, past his first fight, if he were to come back, then you start to see him kind of get back into peak form. But I think if his first fight back is against Marab, Marab's going to have the pressure advantage, in my mind at least. Now, he's not talking about it. I've actually seen it being talked about, him coming back to fight Marab, him coming back to possibly fight Aljo. Obviously, the only fight he wants is Volkanovski, the new pound-for-pound number one. I don't want to see that fight. You have seen Triple C start at 125, move up to 35 to get the belt. We have seen Volk win at 185. Is this is that really a fight we're talking about right now? A 125er against a 185er, obviously a 145er, but come on now. Does yeah, no, anybody it's... really want to see that and think Cejudo actually has a chance? Well, and that's the thing. I don't think people give Volk enough credit. Like he used to play like rugby league at 215 or as Volk would say 214 pounds. Uh, but I mean, he, he's ridiculous. He, it's, you could put him up there against guys that are way bigger than him, and he's got a Holloway. shot. You're, yeah, exactly. Holloway's a perfect example. He's got a ridiculous reach advantage. Like, I just triple, uh, excuse me, Volk is like, I, I don't see anyone beating him anytime soon. I really don't. Neither do I. I, I can see him. He, he is the one guy. So people have been talking about Usman, obviously. But Volk is actually the one guy, in my opinion, that I see taking everything, taking all the records. He, I think he's going to get the Anderson Silva 16-0 in the UFC record. I, I don't see Volk losing to anybody in the UFC, in my opinion at least, and at his weight class at least. If he moves up to 55, sure, okay. But Silva's run, he didn't move up to 205. Like Silva yeah. didn't move up and try to get a belt. He didn't move up till well after he was out of his prime. Yeah, yeah, so, no doubt. I, I just do not see Volk losing. I think Volk has the legitimate chance to be the greatest of all time. Yep, yeah, I, I couldn't agree with that more. Uh, so moving forward a little bit, I think it's probably in our best interest from our perspective. Uh, going to be a good thing to recap our bets here because I've got some stuff that I want to say because as fun as that card was, on paper our bets didn't turn out great. Uh, but I think you still can't no be too mad. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah, no this, kidding. This was not a betters friendly card, unless you no. were just housing dog on dog on dog. <laughs> yeah, but you can't be too mad about that. Like some of the bets that we lost out on were obviously the Usman by decision at minus one twenty. I, I mean, by fifty. That was the right pick, right? Like he was fifty seven seconds away from us cashing that bet. So I'm not mad about that one at all. And I totally I, agree. There's sometimes when you absolutely make the right pick. You lose, but you stand by the fact that that was the correct pick. There is no way Leon Edwards by knockout or Leon Edwards at all was the correct pick to make. Like that, it happened, but that was not the correct pick to make. Yeah, well, and it's crazy because my friend Jayden texted me uh, right after that fight ended, and he cashed like nine hundred dollars against Usman when Usman lost. He picked Leon Edwards to win in round five. And that is the most ridiculous bet I've ever heard, but hats off to you, Jayden. That's, that's insane to hear. Yeah, good for him. You, yeah, you love to see it. You love to see it. Uh, but another thing that I'm really not mad about at all either is the parlay of the week. We had Usman, we had Alexander Romanov, and we had Sean Woodson. 
tough fights there. Obviously, Usman was 57 seconds away from winning. I think Romanov probably could have gotten a stoppage in round one against Tabora. Um, not, not it's it's easy for me to sit here, you know, the next week and say he should have pushed harder and stuff. But he had his chances. He just, I mean, ten mm-hmm. eight on my scorecard in round one. Also, there. yeah, I think that at least should have gone to a draw. That was an absolute ten eight first round. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And then the Saldana Sean Woodson fight. Hats off to Saldana. He looked really good. Sean Woodson didn't look like his chin really held up that well, mm-hmm. but. I have an interesting stat for you here that refers back to our parlay. So obviously we took Usman, Romanov, and Sean Woodson. If you bet the winning pick in all three of those, right? So you take Leon Edwards at right around plus 300. You take Martian Tabora at right around plus 300. And if you were to pick that Sean Woodson-Saldana fight to be a draw at plus 5,000 and you parlayed those three, Jake, I'm just going to have you guess. What do you think a $100 bet on that parlay would have paid? I mean, 100 has got to win you at least... Oh, my God. You got a, five, a plus 5000 right there, so there's five grand in the hole. I don't know, $15,000? Yeah, try 81500 100 bucks wins you, uh, like... A down payment on the nicest house anyone's ever seen. Like, <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Obviously, no one's going to pick a draw there, but can you imagine meanwhile, putting $100? Yeah, meanwhile, we're out 100 bucks. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. But can you imagine putting a $100 bet in and you get 81000 Like, you have to declare that to the IRS you did so well. Yeah. Like, it's, it's ridiculous. So I would love more than anything to declare my bets to the IRS. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No kidding. Love. That's that's me every Vegas trip, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously the the two big picks that we hit on were the Amir Albazi and Francisco Figueredo under two and a half. Like I said last week, I didn't put that much thought into that pick. I just looked at it and thought it was a great dog pick at plus one fifteen. Amir Albazi just looked unstoppable in that one. As much as I like Francisco Figueredo. That, that was the right pick, and it cashed. And then the and hammer of the week. To, to bring up before we get to the hammer, though, this is a very interesting stat. Flyweight bouts over the last month or so, taking the under has almost always been the underdog bet, whether it's one and a half or two and a half rounds. And the flyweights have been consistently cashing on these underdog bets for about a month straight now. Yeah, it, you like the ride flyweights and the bantamweights are consistently finishing these fights. Yep. Yeah, no doubt. It's good good to ride the hot hand there. It, it, you know, salvage at least a little bit of our of our betting picks last week. But then the hammer of the week comes out. It was the right pick all around. It cashed. It, it was a great way to start those last three fights for us, and I felt really confident going in to the oh, last fantastic. after that. But Marab, we talked about him earlier. I mean. Fought a good fight. Obviously, like you had mentioned, all those takedown defense was just spectacular. And uh, a big portion of Marab's game is is the pressure, but also uh, chaining your strikes in with the wrestling. And obviously, mm-hmm. if you can't get your wrestling going, the strikes aren't going to be as effective. So it, it was the right pick, and it cashed. And I'll take what we got on that one, and uh, and we'll look to bounce back and have a good And I believe that's also 11 decisions for Marab in his last 12 fights. Yeah, and you, you know the consideration for his next bout. Yeah, and you remember how heavy we were on Marab by decision when mm-hmm. we were in Vegas last. I think it was what last September when and he that was his Mar- first finish. It, it was ten decisions in a row, and we hammered him by decision, and then he gets a finish. It was just 
Of you know, course, that's he does. The, that's the way the fight game goes, man. You can't be too mad about it. You love to see it. That's the way the betting game person. goes. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yanni, yeah, ask Yanni Corrales how he feels right now. Um, We're doing better so, than him, at least. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, no kidding. Um, so moving forward, uh, I think you brought up a good idea earlier before we got on air of wanting us to almost play matchmaker and look at the divisions, kind of see how they're going to shake out. So what do you got for us? So right now, the, the two divisions that are really up in the air seem to be middleweight and bantamweight. When, when you're looking at the or the bantamweight division, we're going to start there. I mean, so we do have Aljo and Dillashaw coming up. There's not a lot of storylines, to be honest, with either of them winning. Like, yes, Dillashaw is going to regain his championship, which he never lost. However, there's no one, there's no one on the come-up I really want to see fight Dillashaw. And then as for Aljo, I mean, other than other than Marab getting there, there's not a lot of cool stories. It, it'd be very interesting, however, if we were to pair up the only two open fighters, which would be Marab and Cheeto, and we see Marab get the win, I would be very interested to see what happens if Aljo also gets the win because Marab mm-hmm. has nowhere to go from there. Marab is one fight away, and I don't see him losing to anybody in this top 10. Marab is one fight away from getting the champ, in my opinion. If Aljo stays that champ, I really don't know what's going to happen. And then yeah, it'll be interesting to see. It looks like Song Yudong and Corey Sandhagen. I mean, if Corey gets the win, that's pretty much the only fight I would like to see happen against TJ Dillashaw. Because, I mean, Dillashaw, I don't think won that fight against Corey. I, I really don't. I guess you could also see Corey coming up against Aljo because that was quite a fluke of a fight. That was, what was that, 30 seconds, take the back, mm-hmm. choke him out, that was it. I would love to see Corey get a rematch with that. Song Dong is a tough matchup to, to come out against, so that is one of the most wide-open divisions. As playing matchmaker, I think personally all I would like to see is a win with Aljo, Marab get paired up, and personally I want to see what happens with that storyline. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think that you're, you're spot on there. Song Dong is on just a hell of a run right now. I think he's a pretty scary opponent to go up against. But I also want to get your thoughts about one other division that you know I'm super excited about. We saw a couple guys in this division scrap this past Saturday. But what do you think about the middleweight division? So Israel Adesanya is like more or less already lapped the division. But depending on how some of these fights that are already booked play out, including Israel's fight with Alex Pereira, um, if Israel wins, like, where do you take him from there? And if Alex Pereira wins, do you give Izzy the immediate rematch out of respect that he's held the belt for so many years now? Or do you turn Pereira loose against some of the up-and-comers in the division? So that's actually a very tough question, honestly. You always, in my opinion, always give a dominant champ their, their shot back. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're looking at real storylines here, real records, Israel's now 0-3 against Pahara if he were to lose here. Like, I don't want to – like, that's four fights now that – like, I don't want to see that happen again. Like, if we have yet to see Valentina get her chance against Amanda Nunes again, and, and those were close fights, then why should Israel get another chance against Pahara? However – I don't think that's going to be the outcome. I think Israel is going to be in still. And then when we look at that division, I mean, that division right now is as confusing as can be in terms of who's going to get the next shot. 
you have Whitaker and Vittori coming up this weekend, or next weekend. Israel's already beat both of them, Whitaker twice. Then you've got the only two free people in the entire top, let's see, top seven are Paulo Costa and Derek Brunson right now. Israel has beat both of them, convincingly. Yeah. So maybe think, that's the fight to make. I know Paolo has said that if he does not get the winner of Vittori and Whitaker, that he wants Blonde Brunson. But like I'm saying, the winner of Vittori and Whitaker, the winner of Paolo Brunson, they fight. We still have a matchup where Izzy has already beat all of these guys in the top five, top six. Like We need some of these other guys to make their way up. We need Darren Till to get on a winning streak sitting at number nine. We need... Andre Muniz or Drikas Duplessis to come up. Like, maybe some of these up-and-comers can do it, but, I mean, they've got a ways to go. Brad Tavares, Chris Curtis. Like, the, just, yeah, and they, can, they keep going up and sliding back down. Going up mm-hmm. a little, coming back down. Yeah, and you got to think if, like, I know Izzy loves to be active. This would be the, the fight card in November at Madison Square Garden will be his third time fighting this year. And, and I love you know, fighters being active in general, but especially champions that want to be active. But I feel like if Izzy wins this upcoming fight against Pereira, like you almost have to just take your time, relax, maybe not fight until like an international fight week or something in the summer Mm -hmm. in 2023, because you have to let the division kind of shake itself out and, and figure out who ends up where and and who deserves those title shots. But as I'm a huge Izzy fan, I'm sure I'm going to make some enemies of our podcast here and saying this, Love Izzy, always will. I, I wouldn't mind seeing Pereira get a win here and, and see what that does to the division. But this is a win-win fight life. for me. Yeah, no, no matter who wins this fight, I'm super happy about it. And uh, I think the middleweight division is just on fire, as it always has been. Do you think Do you think Israel ever tries to go back up? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah? No doubt. How, I think how, especially, how do you see him against somebody like Yuri Prohaska? Two, two strikers getting to go at it so he doesn't have to be wrestled by a Jan Blachowicz again. Yeah, I, I, the Yuri versus Izzy would just be a wild fight. I mean, that would be insane. But I, I think Dana's always said that Izzy has just some crazy plans. And kind of what I feel like he's alluding to there is Izzy gets to the point where he moves up to 205, gets the belt there, has some time at 205, maybe defends it once or twice, and then finishes his career moving up to heavyweight and having three belts. Or whether they're hold, held at the same time or at different points in his career and he has to relinquish one of the belts in order to move up. I mean, can you imagine the, the, the first fighter ever to have the belt at the three heaviest weight divisions? I mean, that would be insane. So, Do you think he's going to pull like a, like a John Jones and just take off a year and just eat and lift yeah i wouldn't put it i wouldn't put it past him at all and you know like a year ago him and john jones kind of were uh were squawking a little bit raider stadium yeah Yeah. so i I think there's any number of possibilities that happen uh, but obviously it all depends on how these fights the rest of this year shake out and, and i'm super excited to see what happens but uh but you know i think no matter how you put it we're as USC fans in for just a hell of a, an end to 2022. I, I'm super excited to see every single card the rest of the way out. I completely agree. This last quarter of the year, these last several weeks, they've been announcing fight after fight after fight. The, the year is going to end on an absolute banger, and I'm just so excited to see what happens. Yeah, yeah, I am too. So I think that about does it for us this week, guys. Make sure you tune in every single Friday for 
the new podcast episodes coming out. We'll be back at you next Friday before UFC Fight Night. Tui Vasa versus Gone coming to you from Paris, France. We're going to have all of our bets. It's going to be a normal fight week podcast. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at round6pod. We're going to be posting picks. We're going to be posting analysis from different fights on the card. And, and I'm super excited for next week. I think it's going to be just a wild card and a historic trip to uh, Paris, France for the UFC. So uh, I'm super excited about it. Jake, you have anything else you want to say? No, I think that just about wraps it up for this. All right. Well, tune in next week. Follow us on Instagram. And until then, y'all have a good one.